Next on BYU Sports Nation, a missed opportunity for Cougar football. ESPN's Trevor Maddox explains how BYU let another game get away at Notre Dame. BYU hoops in Kansas City for a Monday night tangle with Texas in the biggest week of the basketball season. Longhorn play-by-play Craig Way joins the program. Plus, how does BYU athletics move forward as an entire department and get back on track? We discuss. Let's go. And now, live on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio, it's BYU Sports Nation with your hosts, Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan. Bring it on, Monday. BYU Sports Nation back for more on November 25th. I'm Spencer Linton, Jerem Jordan with his game face on and his Real Salt Lake jersey. Welcome to the bandwagon, Jerem. <laughs> I haven't he, worn it all year. He sits to my right, wherever and however you may be listening. Thanks for making us part of your day. My, how the atmosphere can change across BYU Sports Nation after a rough week. BYU basketball, heartbreaking loss to Iowa State by two on Wednesday. BYU women's soccer bows out of the NCAA tournament on Thursday. BYU football whiffs in Notre Dame. But we should give due credit where credit is deserved, and that is... BYU Women's Hoops, 4-0. They got a win, the only BYU team to win over the weekend, 82-66 against Cal State Northridge. The Cougars flirting with the top 25. And cross-country, they tie a program best with a fourth-place finish in the national championships. So congratulations to both of those programs. Yeah, nicely done. Uh, So... uh a week ago, we were talking about BYU went 7-0 and over the weekend. A wild weekend of sports. And this was a much more challenging uh, week for BYU Athletics, and unfortunately came up on the uh, bottom end on most of those. But uh, opportunity awaits several more teams this week as we get into the season, and th- some of the fall sports are ending, and some of the... You know, the fall-winter sports continue with basketball. Uh, join the conversation by tweeting at BYU Sports Nation, commenting on or or liking our Facebook page and weighing in on today's poll question, which addresses football. Which loss hurts the most? Virginia, Utah, Wisconsin, or Notre Dame? Weigh in on Twitter and tell us why, and we'd love to know where you're listening to the show. Which which program, uh, I mean, you look at the poll question, but which program right now needs a win more? I was thinking about this a lot on my drive to work today. BYU basketball coming off the Iowa State loss or football? Uh, coming out the Notre Dame loss, where where are you where are you weighing those options? It's tough because basketball has a bigger opportunity. Texas in basketball better than Nevada in football. Although Texas is not the same, they're four zero, but they're not the same Texas as a couple years ago that uh, has gone to the NCAA tournament. But it's still a big game, a big name on ESPNU tonight. Nevada, it's on CBS Sports Network. It's the final regular season game. BYU is expected to win. So I don't know. I think that I think that men's basketball. Uh, needs to win. I think BYU football expects to get the win. Kyle Van Noy's homecoming in Reno, Nevada this Saturday, by the way. Yeah. Which loss hurts the most? Vote BYUTVSports.com, Virginia, Utah, Wisconsin, or Notre Dame. Friendly reminder, you can listen to BYU Sports Nation every weekday, noon Eastern, 10 a.m. Mountain on BYURadio.org, the BYU Radio iOS app, Sirius XM Channel 143, and Dish Network Channel 980. Our show on demand every day on BYURadio.org, or you can catch the rebroadcast each day, 7 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio. Hey, rise and shout on a Monday. It's time for What's Trending. What's trending in BYU Sports Nation? Topic one. Oh, missed opportunity. Probably not from their point. There'd have to be a number of wins and maybe consecutive wins. Um, we have to do our share of, uh, of winning. Okay, here's the situation. Bronco Mendenhall told the media last week for the Notre Dame series to become more meaningful, BYU needs to win more games. In the history, they are now 2-6, and six, Bronco Mendenhall 0-3 versus the Fighting Irish. All in South Bend. And so the question is, how does Notre Dame view BYU compared to how BYU views Notre Dame? Well, heading into last week, BYU was a one-point favorite in South Bend. According to oddsmakers. On the road, one-point favorite in South Bend. That has never happened. And I, I bought into that. I felt like BYU had every... Opportunity and every chance, every right, if you will, to go and win that game uh, against Notre Dame. Notre Dame has some good players, but they were missing some key stars on the defensive line. Uh, They have underperformed offensively all year, and I felt like BYU was at a point in their season where they were 
having enough things click that they could go in there and get a win, but they just missed. It just They just whiffed. Yeah, it was an opportunity to win that game, maybe Nevada, maybe the uh, bowl game, to win 10 games. Instead, the max is 9 now, which I thought was still the number on this season of uh, w- whether that's a good season or not. 9 was the number for me. But uh, it hurts. This, this win- loss hurts more to me than uh, Virginia and Wisconsin. Utah is always going to hurt because it's Utah. But this one hurt because BYU got into the red zone but couldn't get it done. BYU could not do that against Wisconsin. That game was, man, they're just better. But this game was, finish! You get, you Between the 20s, you're doing what you need to do. The defense gave up 23 points. What's the stated goal by BYU football? On 24. 24. That's the threshold. They accomplished their goal. But guess what? It felt like 17 points instead of a 10-point margin because BYU's offense unable to, to finish at the end. BYU's in a situation where they're down 10 with five or six minutes to go. Paul Lasique runs to the six. BYU misses a field goal. If they make that field goal or get a touchdown, you know what they did on the next drive? They forced a three and out and returned the kick to the 40-yard line. They could have kicked a field goal to tie or scored a touchdown to Take the lead had they gone two for two in the last two drives on offense. You and I both know that I am, <sighs> not, I am not a pessimist. I'm very much cautiously optimistic as a BYU supporter and across BYU Sports Nation. When Paul Lasique didn't score a touchdown, the first thought that went through my mind is they're not going to score. Mm. And I don't like to think that, but I thought, get into the end zone, Paul. Please get into the end zone. Because if you don't, I don't, I don't know if you're going to be able to score. And when you get 22 bodies crammed into a 15-yard area in the red zone, all of a sudden it becomes a huge chess match, and BYU just has not succeeded there. We'll address the red zone issues in a bit, but overall BYU had a chance to go and do something special. This was their opportunity to, like you said, keep the 10-win season alive. They can't do that now. They got to take care of business against Nevada this week, and then the bowl game becomes oh so important. The bowl game is going to be a good game, building momentum for next year. And you want to finish with more wins than you did last year, because if you beat Nevada and then lose the bowl game, you're eight and five, which is exactly where you were last year. Yeah, you have a different staff, different team, different scenarios. Tougher schedule, tougher schedule. But if you can finish one win better in a tougher schedule optimism floods in and you move forward towards bigger and better things. How you finish is huge. Do you remember in 2010 when BYU started 1 and 4, fired Jaime Hill, but finished the season 7 and 6 with the win against UTEP? How how good it felt? It was a 7 and 6 season. That's not a good season, but it was but it was building towards the next year and that's what felt good. This year you could finish with 9. Let's say BYU plays really well in the final two. Now you're talking. You have a chance to be outside the top 25 with big opportunities at the beginning of next season at Connecticut, at Texas, to get ranked, become relevant. So the the Notre Dame game is disappointing in a lot of ways uh, because of that. But go beat Nevada and then get a good win against a solid Pac-12 team, whether that's Washington or Arizona or Oregon State or even Washington State now. Since they beat Utah and made them... uh, made it so Utah's not going to a bowl game for the second consecutive year, by the way. Missed opportunity. Now it's about fixing it, moving forward, and creating that momentum. Topic two. Addressing those issues. Here's BYU defensive back Craig Bills talking about painful missed assignments the defense made and what they need to do now. I mean, I think anytime they had a big run, it was just because someone was off of their gap or there was a missed tackle. So, I mean, I think we played him pretty well at the line of scrimmage, but we just need to clean up those those little things like, well, they're big things of, of getting in, in your gap and sticking to it. The defense struggled early. That's a no-duh comment. But I thought they got better as the game progressed. Got better in the second half. And I give a lot of credit to Nick Howell for dealing with a busted-up secondary and plugging in the gaps the best that he could with good athletes. A lot of people are like, who is number 15 and why is he playing defense for BYU? That was a brilliant move in my mind by Nick Howell, Michael Davis. He is one of the speediest guys on the team and clearly Notre Dame was exploiting an advantage with their speedy receivers against a banged up secondary. So you throw in Michael Davis who's running 
you know, foot for foot, if you will, with T.J. Jones, who is a really good receiver for Notre Dame's, and he actually has decent coverage with T.J. Jones, who's just a really good receiver. T.J. Jones makes good plays against good defensive backs. Yeah, what if Cody Hoffman had gone one-on-one against the third-string Notre Dame cornerback? He would have had a different game, you know? So, yeah, BYU is piecemealing it with the secondary out there. Mike Hague has a groin injury. Robertson Daniel gets sick. But I want to address something that Craig Bills mentioned. Sometimes you're not in position in a gap because because of the other team's play. Sometimes Notre Dame uh, did so- stuff that put BYU out of position. Their offensive line was great. They were great. And that's where the game was won and lost, was in the trenches. BYU defensively could not get to Tommy Reese. They hit him twice. Guess what happened on those plays when they hit him? Incomplete passes. Yeah, and one floated up in the air forever. Michael Davis... Uh, I'll just chalk that up to inexperience. He doesn't turn around at any point. Otherwise, he probably picks that. Uh, but BYU sent five and six sometimes to get in his face. Couldn't do it. Drop day, they'd, they'd play pretty good D. But, but I thought the BYU defense did a good enough job on first and second down. There was a third and ten, third and ten, and third and seven converted. That'll happen. But there were too many of those. That'll happen against a team that has only given up seven sacks all year. You could call them the best pass-protecting offensive line in America. They are, stat. according to the numbers, best in the nation when you look at how many passes Notre Dame has attempted, how many times they've dropped back. They've given up the fewest number of sacks of any offensive line in the country. Perhaps that was a huge oversight on my part last week, but that offensive line performed better against BYU's defense than I thought they would. I knew they were good. I didn't know they would be that good. Another issue. I thought that BYU could have got more from Fua and Van Noy when they blitzed. I They were just non-existent in that category. And when they did go, they were blocked effectively. That was one part uh, that affected the game greatly. Let's talk about red zone offense. And I'm going to talk... Uh, I'm going to call it red instead of blue right now. Red is in stop. Because this season... Uh, great tweet from Gregor Bell. He said, BYU's red zone TD percentage in the Bronco era. So every uh, 05 through 09, it was 70 plus. Those are the John Beck Max Hall years. TD percentage, right? You go into the, how many times you score a touchdown when you get into the red zone. Now, if if the line of scrimmage is at the 21 and you score, that doesn't count here. So like if Lasique had scored, that would not have been a red zone touchdown, right? So then you look at 2010, 11, and 12, all in the 60s. Then you look at 2013. 47%. 47%. Mm. Not awesome. And then you look at BYU's third down conversion percentage. They're in the 30s. Those two, play, those two stats uh, tell you about BYU finishing. Finishing on third down. Finishing when you get into the red zone. BYU has four losses, all of which were, were close. None of which were more than 10 points, right? So if BYU is good on third down and is average in red zone scoring, it's a different season. Those two have really affected the year for BYU. BYU dropped from 111th to 116th in red zone touchdown percentage. There are only, what, eight teams eight worse than teams BYU in America? in America Yikes. that are worse. And I don't think any of those teams have a winning record. That's the, that's the thing. BYU is 7-4 and four with these numbers. They can put up yards, but the, the bottom line on offense is to score points, and BYU's struggled to finish there. Another good stat that we saw from friend of the program, Gregor Bell, BYU needs eight touchdowns in the final two games to equal last year's touchdown total from the season. Doesn't Man. it feel like there were more touchdowns this year? Yeah, probably because the way that they won and, and who they beat and, and how who, dynamic they were. Who they played, who that, they've played, that's factored in. But eight touchdowns. They might not get there. They you, might. You you better go. You better go thirty plus against Nevada. Wow. Go forty plus against Nevada. It's Nevada. They we, struggled with Air Force. We continue along addressing the issues, and I'm going to bring up the third point that uh, uh, I want to discuss, Jeremy. That is decision making. Okay, fourth quarter. You're down by ten. Three twelve to play. And the ball at the forty. The ball is at the forty yard line. How long did that drive last? I looked it up. Three plays in a minute 33. That Go fast, go hard. That was the exact opposite in that moment. And this is after the blocked field goal. So the game, okay, the field goal is blocked. You're down by 10. You still got a shot because you forced a three and out with 312 to go. If you go and score a touchdown, you could do it onside, get it. You have a chance, right? First and 10, sacked for negative six yards. Second and 16, the rush up the middle for two yards. I'm not sure what was going on there. And then the third and 14, Taysom 
is trying to pass it. He rushes for six yards. BYU goes for it on fourth. Uh, incomplete. Ball game. 149 left. Our job is generally not... The coaches know different coverages, and they're seeing different things, so we don't know why they call the plays. Obviously, we are aware that that running on second and 16 under three minutes made a lot of people upset. It's not about what one fan thinks over the next. We understand where coaches are and why they're there and how they see things. It, it just seemed the lack of urgency. It just seemed like there was a lack of urgency right there. The game's not over yet. The same thing happened at Wisconsin where you're down 10 in a similar situation where, hey, if you score and get it onside, you at least have a couple plays. That, and that's what we're talking about, uh, what is it, 33 years later with the, the game against uh, SMU, is that you, got, you, you executed that and you had a shot for a Hail Mary at the end, right? Yes. And here's the final thing I'll say before we move on to not football topics, and that is I feel like the defense – they did their job underneath the 24-point threshold. Red zone woes, some decision-making, some tough breaks, allowed BYU, or I should say allowed Notre Dame to win on senior day, and BYU misses another opportunity. Topic three. Big old week for BYU basketball. Head coach Dave Rose, coming out that tough loss to Iowa State, says, hey, it's about moving on and getting better. It's a long season, and this is uh... – one game in that season, and we'll you know, try to use it now to, to help us get better. The first game back after a loss this season happens tonight. You know what, Dave Rose? The dude just does not lose back-to-back games. It's happened very rarely. That's good news for BYU Sports Nation when you look at the week ahead. Three games, three solid name teams in Texas. Then you get either Wichita State or DePaul, depending on what happens between those teams and what BYU does against Texas. And then Utah State at Energy Solutions Arena in Salt Lake City on Saturday. Quite honestly, I feel like BYU can logistically almost punch their ticket to the NCAA tournament if they have a solid week. You'd have more non-conference solid wins with Stanford plus three this week if you went out. Than you've had in the past couple of years. You normally don't get that many games that are quality non-conference, let alone wins like that. One of our student assistants, Sam, told me the last time BYU beat a ranked non-conference opponent in basketball, 2007, Louisville. Texas is not ranked. Uh, Wichita State is, um, and Utah State's not ranked either, but... All three of those teams are named teams. They're recognized teams. BYU will be on a stage where a lot of important eyes will be watching them play again, much like they were against Iowa State. And so the Cougars are due. They're due for a big win, and they have three great opportunities to take care of business this week. Yeah, big game tonight. So BYU versus Texas, uh, 7.30 Eastern time. Pre-game coverage starts at 6.30 Eastern right here on BYU Radio. So Texas is not the same Texas that they were a couple years ago, but they are 4-0. They're Texas. Big game. And then, like you mentioned, you hope that you can win that game because you're likely playing Wichita State tomorrow. Now, the big question in people's minds, Eric Mika, what is his status? We know that Wednesday uh, gets a abrasion on his eye, a scratcher uh, on his eye. Then Friday uh, eased into practice, Saturday practiced. And then as of now, he's in the projected starting lineups, according to the game notes, slash... Gregor Bell tweeted a picture from Kansas City at the shoot-around an hour or two ago with him with some, I wouldn't call them goggles, but they're like the thin shades, you know, yeah. like that a, like a center fielder would wear. If he's going to wear them, he's it's going to be a baller, you know. <laughs> you got to do it. You might as well make it stylish. Yeah, so he looked at it. So it appears, nothing official from BYU on this, it appears that Eric Mick is going to play, maybe start tonight which is great news for BYU. That, that gives them a great chance to win. In fact, against Texas, I like BYU's chances a lot. Texas is nowhere near the team that Iowa State is. I think Texas is good, but they're not Iowa State. They're not ranked. So the winner plays at 9 tomorrow. The loser will play at 6.30, both of those times. Eastern time, some things to watch for tonight from BYU. Struggling free throw percentages. 
Uh, that's that's been an issue all season long. And then over the last two games, we talked heavily about this last week. BYU's three point field goal percentage fourteen percent, five for thirty five over the last two games. Very uncharacteristic of a BYU team, especially under Dave Rose. Those teams shoot the ball really well. So we'll see if BYU can get on track in Kansas City on a neutral floor against Texas tonight. That game again on ESPNU seven thirty tip Eastern Time. Hey, which football loss hurt the most this season? We'll get to some of your tweets after the break. Uh, what does BYU Sports Nation think? Also, we discuss what happened at Notre Dame. ESPN's Trevor Maddich joins us as well as more basketball talk with Craig Way, the voice of the Longhorns. This is BYU Sports Nation. Stay with us. We'll have more BYU Sports Nation right after this. Rise and shout, Cougar fans. This is Taysom Hill, and you are listening to BYU Sports Nation. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Spencer Linton, Jerem Jordan. You can follow us at Spencer underscore Linton and at Jerem Jordan straight up. Join the show's growing Twitter following at BYU Sports Nation. Tonight on True Blue with Dave McCann, Blaine Fowler breaks down the Notre Dame game, previews Nevada, men's cross-country coach and runner at Istone and Jared Warner in studio, plus features on Kyle Vannoy and Daniel Sorensen. Watch it tonight at 8.30 Eastern on BYU TV and listen on BYU Radio. Another shout-out to the cross-country team. Finished fourth of the national championships. Well done. Jared Ward helping out in that situation. Great to have him back running with BYU. Which football loss hurts the most? Uh, we There are four, so obviously you have four options. Virginia, Utah, Wisconsin, or Notre Dame. We go to Facebook. This from Cody Meredith, Utah. The season started with high expectations, and despite the loss at Virginia, Utah was the game I was most looking forward to. Since that loss, it's been hard to get excited about other games this season, and it didn't help. It was the last time we played them for a few years. Nathan Sharanian? Sharanian? Sharanian. Sharanian? We're going to call it that. Struggling. Yeah. Notre Sorry, Dame. Nathan. We love you. We love you. At the game, Notre Dame. At the game, I was so cold it hurt. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Nathan. I did feel bad for the BYU fans that that ventured out there and stuck through the cold. But you know, that's that's part of the thing. I I felt the same way after uh, BYU lost Notre Dame last year. I was there. I thought BYU was going to win that game, knock off the number one team in the country. They lose by a field goal. More of your tweets on which loss for BYU football hurts the most later on. We now welcome into the show for the second time Craig Way, the radio play-by-play voice of the Texas Longhorns. Craig, welcome back to the show. It's good to be back on with you guys. Nice to be with you. Thank you. Hey, Craig, uh, different sport this time around. Uh, the Longhorns 4-0 in Kansas City on a neutral court against BYU. What should we know about this Texas team that uh, has allowed them to get out to a quick start? Well, it's a lot different team, obviously, than the one they had last year since they had several players leave for a variety of reasons, obviously. Uh, Mike Cabongo left to try to enter the NBA draft, and then uh, you had other players leave, transfer. So it's it's a team with four freshmen who see considerable, uh, see considerable playing time and uh, and in addition to that, they have very few veterans left. Now, that said, uh, one thing that is kind of healthy to note about this group, they seem very eager and uh, very dialed into what Rick Barnes and the coaching staff are trying to get across to them. And so far, it's worked out pretty well. Now, this will clearly and easily be the most difficult test they've had to this point in the season, but it's something they're looking forward to encountering tonight. Craig, uh, I noticed no seniors for BYU, no seniors on the team for Texas. That's kind of the way of college basketball now, and uh, three sophomores in the starting lineup for uh, Texas. Tell us a little bit about some of the main guys for the Longhorns that BYU fans should watch out for tonight. Well, I think obviously the the key guy for Texas is Jonathan Holmes, who is uh, the the gray beard of the group as a junior, and uh, he's averaging about 15 points per game. He's been a kind of a force inside for them early on, and that's uh, he was the the lone returning uh, starter who averaged anything, or and and he kind of was a mixed bag of starting and coming off the bench, uh, but he's the one constant really that they had returning for this basketball team uh another one that was kind of along that way is javon felix but javon went between starting and sitting and he was also injured for a while uh felix being uh, a point guard last year while mike cabango was serving a suspension 
but it was kind of a trial by fire for him. He's gone back to his more natural position, and that's at the two-guard spot. And he even had a little bit of a delayed start to this year because he'd had some hip surgery uh, just about a month prior to the start of practice. So his practice time had been quite a bit limited, and so his minutes have been a little bit limited, but he has been productive while he has been out there. And then as far as the other guys go, certainly one of the keys uh, for them has been the play of freshman point guard Isaiah Taylor. He's kind of surprised folks with his court savvy in the early stages of this season. He's helped them come from behind in uh, two of their four wins so far. So he's been a big part of that as well. Those are a couple of the kids that they that have stood out so far. Craig, I don't know if you saw the Iowa State-BYU game last week, but uh, if you did, what was your assessment, of uh, first of all, of BYU and the way they performed against a very good Cyclone team? Well, I saw a little bit of it. I was uh, also broadcasting our women's basketball at the time, and I got a chance to see a little bit of it. And, uh, you know, between that and seeing what I saw from the Stanford game as well, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a pretty impressive group to not have seniors on it, guys who could shoot the basketball and run the floor. And I know that's something that really has uh, Rick and the coaching staff mindful of how they can shoot now they can defend. And uh, any team that can put 112 on the board – Against a you know a, a team even uh, that that didn't might not be a national power, but Stanford is a name that's certainly recognized enough. And if you're putting 112 points on the board against the Pac-12 team, you're doing pretty well. So it certainly has the attention of Rick and the coaching staff. Craig Way joining BYU Sports Nation. Craig, what would happen if Taysom Hill suited up for the basketball team and just warmed up against Texas on that other side after the uh, football game? <laughs> I don't know if Rick Barnes would go ahead and just fire one of his assistant coaches on the spot before the game started or anything. I would hope not. I would hope that would not be the case. And uh, I think that, that he had such an awesome game that night. It, uh, there in Provo, it still has, has a lot of Longhorn fans shaking their head. But I, I mentioned this at the time that, that was, he was dangerous. And then as the season went on, every time Taysom would have a good game, I would point out on my talk show or defense, Oh, by the way, it wasn't just against Texas. See what this guy is, do, is still doing. So uh, he's, he's had, obviously, a, a very good season, and, and the Cougars have as well, and I pointed that out to people. Texas, you know, has, has kind of flipped the script a little bit because it was uh, at a pretty low point, obviously, after the loss to BYU that went back home. They had the coaching change with their defensive coordinator, brought Greg Robinson back in full-time, lost to Ole Miss, and he'd only had three practices with the team. In fact, I visited with him the day before the game with Ole Miss, and he said he felt like he'd been drinking from a fire hose, trying to get you know get used to guys, and he didn't know a lot of their names and things. But since then, they, they turned it on, uh, got it going, and won six in a row before they lost to an extremely good Oklahoma State team. And I think everybody watched the game Saturday night. Yeah, we saw how good they are. Yeah, so they, I mean, here, here is Texas for everything they've been through this season and having dropped those two games and that, and that BYU loss that brought about a, a change in the coaching staff. Here they are still with uh, a slightly better than mathematical shot even to win the Big 12 Conference, but to be 7-3 and three from where they were is pretty impressive going into the Thanksgiving night game this Thursday night against Texas Tech. So in a weird roundabout way, you can kind of thank Taysom Hill and BYU perhaps for a wake-up call. Is that too much of a stretch? It, it might be too much of a stretch for Longhorn fans <laughs> to accept, but I'll, I'll take whatever that can uh, – that ever, can ever be offered, you know. So you, you might say it kind of, you know, the weird thing about that is that Texas had a lot of defensive issues last year. I remember talking to you guys about that in September. And they pretty much felt that they'd addressed them late in the regular season and then especially in the bowl game against Oregon State where they had 10 sacks and, and played really well defensively. So they thought they had the things addressed. You really couldn't tell it in the New Mexico State game because New Mexico State wasn't a very good opponent, so you couldn't tell for sure. Obviously, Taysom Hill and the and, and the ground attack just uh, exposed all of those uh, weaknesses and flaws, and they went back to the basics afterwards, a lot more fundamental things once they had the coaching change and the guys felt a little more comfortable. Now, I will also tell you this, too, and this kind of makes the 7-3 and three a record right now even more remarkable. Their best defensive player, Jordan Hicks, without with a season-ending injury. They lost 
really their third best corner in Sherrod Evans. He's out for the season. And then, of course, lost their the, the heart and soul of their defense, nose tackle Chris Whaley. We had uh, two returns for touchdowns, an interception against Oklahoma and a fumble return uh, in the game uh, against Kansas. Lost him for the season. And then on the offensive side, they've lost Jonathan Gray, their leading running back. So to lose, and of course, David Ash, who, who suffered the concussion against the Cougars, tried to come back a couple of weeks later against K-State, had a recurrence of symptoms in the first half, has not returned since, and they announced today he's done for the rest of the regular season. He's going to apply for a medical red shirt and try to come back with two years of eligibility. But, uh, you know, they, they've gone through a rash of injuries, and for them to get to 7-3 and three has been kind of quite the turnaround for this football team, given where they were after the two September losses to BYU and Ole Miss. Craig Way, Texas Longhorn football, men's basketball, and women's basketball. Uh, play-by-play joins BYU Sports Nation. Thanks for the update on Texas football following that. I didn't know that there were that many injuries and that they had been affected uh, that much. Of course, next year's game with Texas, uh, BYU at Texas, September 6th. What can BYU expect given the game that happened this year in Austin next year? Well, I think there'll be quite a few things that are different. Certainly, uh, you know, Case McCoy's done a good job playing quarterback the rest of the way. He'll be gone, obviously. He's he's a senior. Uh, it will be interesting to see what happens, even if David Ash doesn't get the medical hardship year, and I think he will, but even if he doesn't, he still has one year going. He would You would have to think be the incumbent uh, starter at quarterback. Tyrone Swoops has gotten a little more playing time, and they have an incredibly highly talented freshman coming in next year in Gerard Hurd, but... Uh, I would think the plan would be, if all is going well at the quarterback position, at least early on, to see about the possibility of redshirting him. It's too early to tell that. Jonathan Gray is expected to make a complete recovery. He would be back at running back for his junior season. The other guys, Malcolm Brown and Joe Bergeron, would be seniors. Uh, the offensive line graduates uh, a couple of guys that, by and large, would return intact. Jordan Hicks would be back next year. Uh, with eligibility and most of the uh, most of the defensive, they'd have most of the guys back. I know a lot of folks are wondering, will the head coach be back? And and that's something that only time can tell. But uh, I know Mac Brown isn't planning on going anywhere. Who knows if other factors determine otherwise? But uh, he's planning on being back. So it's it's very early, certainly, to look at September of next year. But I know this in terms of the players coming back. Most of this team. We'll be coming back, and it's a group that I think that will be sounder on both sides of the football and more experienced than the one that uh, ran into the buzzsaw there in Provo. Craig Way, play-by-play voice of the Texas Longhorns on BYU Sports Nation. And Craig, I'm... I know that Austin and the people there are known for their hospitality, but I'm just I'm guessing that not many folks are going to offer Taysom Hill uh, a, a nice, warm, cooked meal and uh, <laughs> a friendly conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully they'll do that for the BYU fans. And actually, <laughs> when BYU came in a couple of years ago, I, I saw some uh, some postings from uh, Cougar fans that said they, they that Texas fans are very kind to them. Hopefully that'll still be the case uh, when they come in next year. But uh, you know, they everybody came away from that game, you know, uh, unhappy, and, uh, and a lot of folks were upset with uh, what had happened. Clearly, with the Texas defense. But I think everyone came away impressed by what Taysom Hill did and, and what he has continued to do this season. I don't think there's any question about that. And, and to be honest with you, I think they would look forward to another opportunity to, to deal with him next year, you know, under different circumstances with a much more sound uh, defensive football team than the one that was dealing with him back in September. I, I, I think there's no question about that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No doubt about that. Craig Way uh, wrapping up with the radio play-by-play voice of the Texas Longhorns. And, and Craig, very uh, you can be brief with this, but what's the feeling from Rick Barnes on how to stop BYU? How does Texas beat BYU, uh, according to the coach? Well, you know that old coaching expression about it this early portion of the season. They always say it's about us, not so much about the opponent. And, and I always kind of struggled with that. I was like, well, yeah, but you, you, you do have to do your scouting report and you do have to prepare for it. And they were like, oh, yeah, sure. But they're more concerned about their team executing all those fundamental things. And with a, a team that is as young as this basketball team is, 
I think it really does take on more meaning. With with four freshmen playing meaningful minutes, you're going to see some speedy guards in the Demarcus Croker out there for Texas, Martez Walker. These are some guys that have shown flashes of things at time. And then in the in the middle, uh, the returning sophomore post players, uh, Cameron Ridley and Prince Ebay are guys whose games continue to develop. But these are still young guys, and these are guys that they're still in the teaching phase. I was at the practice last night in the Sprint Center, and there wasn't a great deal of up and down, back and forth, running end-to-end stuff. It was a lot of teaching, and that's where Rick and this coaching staff still is with this group right now. So there may be some hard lessons learned tonight. They may feel like Taysom Hill is out there on the floor running against them. They may <laughs> have some of that, but this is a team that I think they feel in time. They like the talent. Uh, they seem to be willing to learn and execute all of the things that the coaches will do. It's an education process for them right now. We'll see where it goes from here. Craig, thanks for the time, and have a good call tonight. Texas and BYU in Kansas City. Always great to be on with you guys. Thanks. Thanks, Craig. Up next, back to BYU football and what happened at Notre Dame. ESPN college football expert Trevor Maddich joins us for yet another edition of Maddich Monday. The Cougars under the scope. That's next on BYU Sports Nation. We'll be back with more BYU Sports Nation right after this. This is Tyler Haas, and you are in BYU Sports Nation with Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan. Go Cougs! You're going to get a first-hand look at Tyler Haas and the BYU Cougars tonight against the Texas Longhorns College Basketball Hall of Fame Experience Classic 2.0 version. (laughs) Whatever it is, it's a big stage. It's an opportunity for BYU to bounce back after a tough loss to Iowa State. We just got confirmation from Kyle Chilton, Sports Information Director of the BYU Basketball Team, that Eric Miko will indeed play. We had speculated that he would. Now it's official. Miko will play. Not sure if he's starting it or not, but it's good news to have him back in the lineup after that scary situation against Iowa State. The next question is, what style of... uh eyewear does he go with? Is it the Kurt Rambis that Ben Bagley tweeted on the BYU Sports Nation account a picture of? Is it... Uh, Horace Grant with the, uh, white, Grant? Outli- with yeah. the white walls Who around is it? the lenses. Who is, it, uh, is, it a, is it a face mask like Rip Hamilton? What, what does he go with? Or is it the sweet center fielder Oakleys that all the baseball players wear just with some clear lenses? Yeah, the, the little uh, eyelids that open up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Flip them up when you're shooting free throws. Or, or Amari Stoudemire. <laughs> he pulls it down during a free throw. That doesn't help Amari in any way. Oh, hey, we've got a Super Saturday coming up, Jerem. Absolutely. Starts with countdown to kickoff at 2 Eastern, getting you ready for the BYU and Nevada game, followed by women's hoops undefeated 4-0 against Arizona at 4 the BYU TV Sports Post game is right after the BYU Nevada game, so about six thirty, uh, and then the men's bat or five thirty, and then no six thirty. That's right. You were the, right. The countdown to kickoff is an hour. Then men's basketball nine Eastern against Utah State. That's a huge game. It's on BYU TV from Salt Lake City in Energy Solutions Arena, where the Jazz haven't figured out how to win, but hopefully BYU does. You know, I was I was at the Jazz game. A few weeks ago when, when they, they won. Beat, when they beat the Pelicans. You, you beat saw the Pelicans. a rare thing. You saw a rare thing. I witnessed it. Which loss hurts the most for BYU football? We go back to Twitter and Facebook. This one from at Brown. Obviously Virginia. Hashtag go Hokies. <laughs> Must have a Virginia tie. And then at Laser Sheep. Is this really a question? I'm with the majority, and I don't even have to say which team. I teach my son to CTR. He says. <laughs> oh, that one to Utah hurts, doesn't it? We welcome to the show, as we do every Monday, the man with a national championship plan, BYU 1984 national champion and ESPN college football expert Trevor Maddich. Trevor, welcome back to the show. I know this is uh, an interesting time for BYU football coming off another missed opportunity against Notre Dame. Quite simply, what happened for BYU that uh, made it so tough for them in South Bend? Well, the same thing that's plagued them most of the season that we've talked about before, they were not able to complete enough long passes to be able to back that Notre Dame defense away from the line of scrimmage. They only averaged about four and a half yards per pass attempt. And even though they ran the ball fairly well most of the time or much of the time, there were too many times when they were stuffed at the line of scrimmage because Notre Dame had stacked the box. And their longest pass play was only 15 yards to Cody Hoffman. Other than that, everything was at, at or near the line of scrimmage, very little yards after the catch, 
And there are a lot of reasons for that. That's not just the quarterback and receivers. That's the offensive line, a number of other things. But until they get that remedied, then they will, they will face stacked boxes and Notre Dame stacked it effectively. Trevor, what did you see about BYU's red zone play that caused them to be so ineffective? You know, this is a matter of being able to take advantage of those big receivers and tight ends. Where you've got guys that are 6'4", 6'5", down in the red zone, they're open even when they're covered. And they're covered in the red zone very often because there's not a whole lot of space for the defense to have to worry about behind them. So they can come up and snug up against those guys. And this is where the quarterback needs time to throw, and he needs to throw with pinpoint accuracy to make to, to give those tall guys an opportunity. And they tried a few times down in the red zone, but given that the offensive line is not yet up to the ability to just, just mash people down there in the red zone, regardless of how many they put in the box, they need to take advantage of that height, and they haven't been able to do it. And this is another game that they got away from them, that they had scoring opportunities. I mean, they were down in the red zone four times, came away with 13 points. They could have won this game had they been more effective just in that one area. But in order to take advantage of their, of their advantages, their matchup advantages, they need time to throw and pinpoint accuracy, and they didn't have either one. Trevor Maddich of ESPN joining us. And Trevor, you mentioned the red zone woes. BYU now 116th nationally in red zone touchdown percentage. What are you seeing that BYU can do, uh, maybe some simple fixes they can do to help that get better and in a hurry? Yeah, none. There is no simple fix and there is no hurry. Ultimately, the, the big fix will be for the offensive line, which is a work in progress, to round into a group that can handle big, powerful defenders one-on-one without having to worry about any other kinds of gimmicks or anything. Right now, they're just not there. And it's not that they aren't fighting, they are. I mean, these guys are working hard. They're preparing hard. You have to give them credit. Next year, I think you'll see a quantum improvement in the offensive line because of all the experience and all the guys that have played. Competition will continue to get better. Guys know that if they give everything they've got and they're effective, they have a chance to play because of just where the you know, the, the philosophy of the coaching staff and where things are right now. And the offensive line ultimately is where it will start. Now, Taysom will be better next year, but ultimately, if the offensive line doesn't get better, they really won't get a whole lot better in the red zone. So it's not a matter of calling the right play. It's a matter of the guys executing the plays, and they're just not there right now. Our poll question today, Trevor, is this. I want to get your take on this. Which BYU football loss hurts the most? So there are four losses, Virginia, Utah, Wisconsin, or Notre Dame. What do you think? Oh, well, Utah. Okay, besides Utah, besides Utah, Utah, let's take the rivalry oh, out of it. Uh, you know, I think, uh, I, I think, I think Notre Dame, I think the one that hurt the season the most was Virginia because it started them off on a, on a bad foot. But the Notre Dame game was a game that could have been, it, it could have turned a very good season into a, a an a very, very, very good season. Because look at it now. They've got, you know, they have a chance to win eight games in the regular season if they're able to knock off Nevada next week, which will be a tough out. But they've got wins already over Boise State, Georgia Tech, Texas, Houston. If you throw Notre Dame on top of that, you could call this one of the best regular seasons they've had in recent memory in terms of the quality wins that they've put together. And so the, the fact that they were there in the red zone with the ability to, or the opportunity to knock off Notre Dame makes it, I think, I think the hardest one. All right, let's look at college football just from a national standpoint, Trevor, and the uh, championship picture. Right now you have Alabama, Florida State, and Ohio State. Baylor out of the mix after they got whooped up on by Oklahoma State. Out of those top three, who do you feel will be playing for the national championship in early January? Well, it looks it looks like it'll be Alabama and Florida State, but the thing is, Alabama, everybody just assumes they'll win out and go. But Alabama has the toughest road of, of any of those three to win their last couple of games. They got the Iron Bowl and then the SEC championship. Right, and Auburn right now is ranked fourth in the nation. That Alabama-Auburn Iron Bowl is played at Auburn this year. And then they'll either play Missouri or South Carolina in the SEC championship game, and neither one of those will be easy for Alabama. Look at Florida State. They play Florida, a team that's probably the most injured team in America right now. And 
Then they play the SEC cha- or the ACC championship game, probably against Duke. Wait, what? Wait, uh, say that again. Against Duke, the Dukies. <laughs> if Duke can beat North Carolina uh, this week, they'll have a ten-win regular season. You know, and, and give them all are we talking? Are we talking about football or basketball? <laughs> yeah, no, that's the crazy thing. Duke, Duke gets the most out of the sum of the parts than anybody this year. They have some good individual talent. But watching Duke on tape was like watching an ant farm. Any individual ant, not so impressive. But all together, man, they'll take down an elephant. And you know, but but they're just not up to the athletic standards of Florida State. So Florida State should win out easily. Ohio, Ohio State has Michigan, and they're struggling. Then in the, in the Big Ten championship game, they've got Michigan State, a team with a very good defense but no offense to speak of. So it's Alabama that's most likely to lose. So this thing is not over yet in terms of who plays for the BCS National Championship. Who do you have for the Heisman? Like, if you, know if you had to pick today, who's the guy? Jameis Winston, the freshman quarterback for Florida State, is the leader in the clubhouse, but he's in the clubhouse. And as it turns out, the only team that he played that's really any good is Clemson. Uh, they obliterated Clemson, but even the Miami team that they beat, ranked seventh at the time, you know, they lost to Duke. So, you know, it's, it's not necessarily... Uh, they lost in, to the football. They, they lost football. to the ant farm. <laughs> they lost to the ant farm. Stanford's <laughs> the farm. Duke's the ant farm. <laughs> but now let's go, back to, let's go back to Alabama. Their quarterback, A.J. McCarron, everybody assumes he's just Chauncey the Gardner. He's along for the ride. And, yeah, he's the starting quarterback in two consecutive BCS national championships. But it was everybody else, and he just managed the game. Well, I think people are starting to realize that A.J. McCarron didn't just manage games. He made critical plays all through those two national championship runs in order to keep those runs alive. And of all the people that are in contention now, which basically is just about three three people is about it right now, I think, um, Winston McCarron, um, maybe Marcus Mariota of Oregon. Manziel kind of played himself out of it last week. The Baylor quarterback, Bryce Petty, played himself out of it. Don't sleep, by the way, on the, uh, the Boston College running back, Andre Williams. Yeah. He just, he's got 2,000 yards rushing in 11 games. I think that's only the 12th time in NCAA history that a running back has had 2,000 yards in 11 games. So he'll, he'll get consideration. But A.J. McCarron, this is the point. Compared to, to Jameis Winston, Winston is going to play a bad Florida team and somebody unremarkable in the ACC championship, while McCarron has two major national spotlight games to go. If he plays well, in a win against Auburn, and if he plays well in the SEC championship game and win that, to set up his team for a third consecutive BCF national championship. No team in the poll area has ever won three consecutive undisputed national championships. The, if he sets him up for that and plays well in these two national spotlight games, then McCarron on the outside might take the Heisman by a note. Wow. Heisman on and off the field. Yeah, a uh, compelling point from Trevor Maddich of ESPN, former BYU National Champion, joining BYU Sports Nation. And uh, last question I'll we'll ask you, Trevor, is going back to BYU. Let's say BYU beats Nevada and then they go and win a bowl game. They finish 9-4. and four. Would you mark that as a success for BYU football moving forward? Yes, absolutely. And the reason is the defense has been up to their standard. People give them grief for you know, some, some mistakes and giving up some big plays against Notre Dame, but they still held Notre Dame to almost a touchdown less than their national, than their season scoring average. They held Wisconsin to a touchdown less than their season scoring average. And this is, the defense has played well this year. The offense has a new coordinator and a new staff by and large for a reason, because they were, they were so inept there had to be major changes. And there have been a lot of very positive signs going forward for this offense. And even this year, this offense had some of the most remarkable performances for BYU fans to watch in recent memory from a BYU offense. And so, you know, I think, I think there's, a lot, there's a lot to look at this season and say this has been a successful season. Eight, eight and four, it's not what they wanted. And there are no excuses for some of the losses. Utah dropped some passes, things like that. But ultimately, I think this can be a successful season for the seen as for a couple of reasons. One is, the, the teams that they beat, I mean, they knocked off some, some national brand teams this year, and a whole bunch of them. And the second reason is the trajectory of the program as a whole, defensively maintaining the standard, offensively moving forward back towards what you expect from BYU. And we've seen it in individual games this year. Now it's a matter of upgrading 
uh, along the offensive line and a couple other places, and then continuing the progress up. And I think this has been a very successful season, even though the players in the locker room know that they had opportunity to make it even better. Well, great stuff, Trevor. We appreciate the time, and best of luck with uh, your shows this week. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Trevor. Hey, let's go ahead and whip it right now. It's time for the Cougar Whip Around. Women's Volleyball. The 24th-ranked Cougars lost at 9th-ranked San Diego in five sets to finish in second place for the regular season in the West Coast Conference. BYU finds out it's at-large destination Sunday night during the NCAA Tournament Selection Show at 9.30 Eastern on ESPNU. The Cougars will get in. It's just where. I love selection shows. Cross country. The men tied their highest finish in school history at the NCAA Championships on Saturday by finishing fourth. In the country, nicely done. The women took 28. Women's basketball. BYU is 4-0 after a 16-point win at Northridge Saturday, led by Jennifer Hampson's 24 points and 11 rebounds. Sounds like me and pickup. BYU hosts Washington State tomorrow at 9 Eastern on BYU TV. (laughs) Swimming and diving. BYU earned a combined 12 top 10 finishes in competition this weekend. The swimmer... Uh, swimmers earned eight in Las Vegas at the UNLV Invite, and divers earned four in Arizona at the Wildcat Diving Invitational. Resetting some of our top storylines, BYU and Texas basketball playing tonight in Kansas City. Neutral court, big opportunity for BYU again on ESPNU. We learned from Craig Way, the radio play-by-play voice of the Texas Longhorns, Texas relies heavily on four freshmen, and uh, like many of us already know, this will easily be the biggest test for the 4-0 Longhorns when they go up against a talented BYU guy. Watch out for Jonathan Holmes of Texas. He is their go-to guy, junior, uh, who scores about 15 points a game. Today's Rise and Shout goes to Mike Piazza, the Major League Baseball player. He met the women's basketball team and then tweeted about it this morning. They're 4-0! Got Mike Piazza talking about him off a 16-point win against Cal State Northridge. Relevant. In the airport. That's final, awesome. Final poll results. Which law, BYU football loss hurts the most? Utah. 62%. <laughs> followed by Virginia at 22%. Really? I thought, I thought Utah would win, but I thought, I thought Notre Dame would be number two. Percentage on Wisconsin. Your guess. It's five. Yep. Four. Oh, 4%. okay. I promise I didn't look. Uh, we'll go to Twitter for some final comments uh, and Facebook, for that matter. Which uh, loss was the most disappointing for you across BYU Sports Nation? We go to Paul Ryan. Uh, Utah wanted to see a win for the seniors, especially difficult to swallow that one as the season continues. And Utah has had a poor record. The, the Utes for the second straight season, not bowl eligible. They are 4-7. and seven. At Stay Classy Matt, Notre Dame, the most painful loss is I lost three toes to Frostbite. I hope that's I, not I, real. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope that is a joke. Uh, hoping the basketball game is indoors somewhere in Iowa. I'm not sure what he means there, since it's Kansas City and that's in Missouri. <laughs> There's also a Kansas City, Kansas. Midwest, right? Hashtag, he says, hashtag Midwest, Midwest BYU, BYU roadie. Nice. You going to the game? Is that what he's I saying? I believe he was. I yes, I believe I saw a tweet from Matt last week saying that he was going to nice. be at the Notre Dame game and then in, to, to Th- Kansas. This City. is like the ultimate road trip week for BYU fans because you could go to but you could go to Notre Dame and then you could go to these basketball games, assuming you can get work off. Yeah. Oh. For the rest of us, we'll watch from a distance and enjoy. <laughs> go Cougs! Big thanks to our guests today, Craig Way, Trevor Maddich. Always bringing it. Trevor's really insightful. He at one point called Duke football the ant farm, which was hilarious. And, of course, thanks to producer Ben Bagley, senior coordinating producer Michael Miner, station manager Don Shaline, production assistants Alan Miller and Spencer King, and our engineer Aaron Evans. We're like an ant farm around here at BYU Sports Nation. Are we? We're all doing our part, carrying our crumbs. Check out our new BYU Sports Nation Facebook page for show links and much more. Like and comment all you like. You can also listen to episodes of the show on demand on the newly launched and sharp BYURadio.org. For Jerem, I'm Spencer, and you've just listened to a Monday edition of BYU Sports Nation.